So, so virtual reality. So my take on um, what's going on, what I hear in different sessions is we're weaning folks and we're bringing people down on opioids. And whether we like it or not, regulatory, legal, public opinion, thought leaders, whatever, are saying prescribe less opioids. And folks are trying to figure out what to do. Don't have a pain. And Okay, other things. There's not enough pain psychologists to go around. Let's, do, let's give them CBT. Well, there's nobody within 50 miles that knows about pain practice and CBT. Physical therapy and occupational therapy often doesn't uh, understand chronic pain. A number of physical therapists don't understand chronic pain. Uh, sometimes there's insurance limits on both of those number of sessions you could have with that. I think from that, a lot of clinicians these days are thinking, I need something for my patients. You know, I'm taking stuff away, and they're hurting more. I need to give them something. And I think that's what I hear is what's coming from that, is that there's tons of questions about cannabis. Well, let's let them smoke pot or, you know, doing anything else bad to them. Is it legal? Can I get away with it? Uh, and, you know, when are the new products coming out? I hear there's stuff in the pipeline. And I think that's what's driving some of the cannabis questions and thoughts and hopes and expectations is the shift and downshift in opioids. Um, within that landscape, we're going to talk about virtual reality. And surely to goodness, I don't want to stand up here and have a treatment concept to you and say, this one is going to work. This one is safe. We went through that with Percodan, Oxycontin, Buprenorphine, all kinds of, this one is safe. This will be good for patients. This is the future. Cannabis, now that'll be... Okay, virtual reality, there's probably going to be some pros and cons with that. But I think that's the context that we're in at this point, is trying to find things for patients that will help their pain, if, especially in this age of taking stuff away from them. So we're going to talk about virtual reality. So I'm at a, a American Pain Society's Clinical Center of Excellence program. We're trying to do it right there in the heart of, of uh, Southern Appalachia. Um, I have no disclosures. I don't work for or paid for or get any money from any virtual reality company. Um, nothing relevant to this talk. Learning objectives. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of virtual reality. And so you will leave with some knowledge about a little brief snippet of the history of virtual reality, uh, where the original work was done, comparing what analgesia effect you get from virtual reality and comparing that to morphine. Uh, you know, so how good is it? Uh, and it, we're going to talk about at least two devices that you can, uh, that are out there because there's different, it's not all the same thing. There's different pieces of equipment, different program. I used to keep calling them programs. Now the new word is applications. There's new applications. And what's not on here is the bonus for this session. We put it uh, abutting uh, the lunch hour because we got virtual reality set up. So you're going to have a chance to go practice and, and go experience what virtual reality is. And if it's like all the patients I put the headset on, they, their first reaction is, oh my, eh, whoa. You know, I mean, there's a really, it's, it's a qualitative difference from here, look at this video or something else. And so the deep stream people have been kind enough to come um, and they'll set up a, a system. And so you can go try it and they'll be here all afternoon, I'm sure, <laughs> um, for as long as you want to try it. it. The last time they did a demo, some people would like put it on and not take it off and they had to kind of, you know, rip it off their head and say, sorry, the next person really needs it. Um, but, so we'll try to limit people's time with it. Um, okay, even last year at this conference, and I've seen other things saying, basically the title is, someday virtual reality will be there to help people with pain. And like I say, there was a talk last year about that. 
and it's basically someday. You know, it will get there someday. So, and it's, sometimes it has that vision of we're going to have a Star Trek holodeck kind of thing, but even something before then. Well, okay, we're here. It's there. It's out there. You can go on Amazon and click a button and get a virtual reality system. Uh, we're already there. Last week's Time Magazine, um, The View, can virtual reality help people manage pain? Cute little otter there. You'll see the otter in the demo. Um, <clears throat> the last paragraph, Ted Jones says, a uh, new way to help. We've used uh, virtual reality with patients. We did it in clinical trials because I can't bill for it. I can't use it clinically one-on-one uh, -on -one and have any kind of insurance code because there is no insurance code for it. So we did clinical trials with it, but I used it with real-life pain patients, not people off the street or whatever. And then, of course, I had to, I'm, you know, I grew up in Knoxville, but I have to kind of semi-slam Southern Appalachia to say we're in the heart of opioid abuse land down here in Southern Appalachia. So a non-opioid alternative is just what we need. That might be true in many parts of the country at this point. We need non-opioid alternative treatments that work. And, you know, you can have sessions on acupuncture and dry needling and electrical this and electrical that. And they, they, these a lot of alternative treatments sometimes feel kind of fringy. And how much data is there and that kind of thing? Virtual reality has got a lot of data behind it. It's not, you know, something. Okay. What it is, virtual reality, if you don't know anything, it, you put a viewer on your head. It's got a little, some sort of strap, so it holds these goggles to your head so up close that it gives your brain the perception that you're there. If the field of vision is more than 80 degrees and there's good tracking, which means, and there's something watching your head, so when you move your head, the environment that you're looking at moves in a simultaneous manner, and there's no log or lag. Um, Early systems, if they didn't have enough computer power, you'd kind of turn your head and you'd sort of get this LSD sort of vision where things would sort of lag and it tends to make you seasick and, and things like that. But if you have good tracking of your head, so it's really matching your head with what's going on in the computer environment, and you have very good resolution, um, then your brain, you have a sense of immersion. Your brain goes, oh, I'm there. Um, so in 1996, Hunter Hoffman and David Patterson began experimenting, first Hunter and then David, began experimenting with virtual reality in the treatment of burn pain at the University of Washington Harborview Burn Center. Okay, so they started it out. That's 20 years ago. Over the last two decades, we have multiple studies, and multiple studies is numbering almost in the hundreds. I mean, a bunch of studies have shown that virtual reality provides significant analgesia during painful procedures, especially wound debridement. Um, uh, there's a number of other things, and like I said, down through there, it's been studied for burns, dental procedures, various kinds of surgeries, adults, children, good analgesia in all those cases. It, the history would be then that they had that machine, they kind of let other, it was a research uh, project that they developed that system with, and they kind of loaned it to a few other burn units around the country, but basically it was stuck, nestled in Seattle at that one unit, and it, so it was not a commercial product, it's a research, um, and it was stuck there. Uh, so, oh, and other studies have shown, there's MR, fMRI studies looking at the brain in virtual, when it's, when you're doing virtual reality, they had to get a whole contraption to be able to have a headset on and do an fMRI. 
um, and they can see changes in the brain, in the brain activity when somebody's doing that, to, that corroborates that there's analgesia, and you can see how it's working with that. So, and, it get, and they've compared it head-to-head -head with video games. Eh, it's just a video game, except it's closer to your head. No, it's better than a video game. Uh, for what, and there's all kinds of neural theories about what it's actually doing, but it's more than a distraction. It's, it's not just a good distraction, it's a real good coloring book. It's something additional for that. Uh, but it's good, it gives more powerful analgesia than other distraction techniques. So Snow World was the original one that uh, Hunter Hoffman came up with, had a couple versions of it, and it has little snowmen throwing uh, snowballs at you, and you go down the ice canyon, and they're throwing snowballs at you, and you throw snowballs at them. They had a number of veterans that they treated at that burn unit, uh, kids as well, but there was a big veteran population, so you had a lot of returning veterans. And like I say, you go down the ice cannon, the snowmen are there, you hit them with snowballs, they kind of explode and fly all over the place. Um, and uh, what I hear, the legend is that uh, at some demo, Paul Simon saw it and was impressed and allowed the rights. So as you're going down the, the canyon, you hear Paul Simon uh, singing away as you're going down through there. So there's a link if you want to go find out more about what they've done, because they are the home and center of pain treatment with virtual reality. My question is, so why doesn't every hospital uh, and inpatient or any pain practice have virtual reality at this point? Uh, one barrier has been cost. You know, 10 years ago, the cost of the hardware was $30,000. I think the other issue of how it's not made it to our practices is that uh, it's not been used for chronic pain. Because of its history and location and origins, it was used on acute pain, burn pain, procedural pain. And chronic pain, it, it just, that wasn't part of the research to do that. And chronic pain, you might think, well, it's a little different. You know, chronic pain and acute pain have some differences, and maybe chronic, often with chronic pain, you don't do something to somebody, and they're all better. Um, th there needs to be, chronic pain is more complicated than that. So there's an argument, theoretically, that maybe virtual reality wouldn't really be good for chronic pain. Nice Band-Aid for acute pain, not so good for chronic pain. Um, <clears throat> so in the history of virtual reality, in 2014, there was a, a fellow that had a company called Oculus, and he made a sale to Facebook for a billion dollars, said, and Facebook bought the Oculus company and said, <clears throat> here, now we own them. With that investment, that was great for him, but also it was a signal to the entire industry that virtual reality had solid footing. It actually, virtual reality has come and gone for 20 years or more uh, in and out of the you know, engineering world. Uh, but with that, it's like, wow, that's not going anywhere. Virtual reality is here to stay. So a number of people started developing hardware and software saying, okay, what we've always wondered is going to come has come. So in 2014, that was the signal. Um, so uh, in June of 2016, some examples of what's come out. Cedar sinai launched a virtual reality pilots to curb pain. Um, they're using it inpatient in several different settings, um, and they actually applied VR, had a uh, booth here. Uh, hopefully you saw that when they were here. Um, so they're, and they're working in partnership with Cedar sinai in, in LA. Um, that's, they use what's called the gear, which is a, uh, there's no cords attached to it because you take a, 
a phone, a Galaxy phone, and stick it on there. I think it's a Galaxy. You stick it on there, and there you go. It's right there. So they can just hand it to you, and you put it on, and there's no cord trailing off like that. The power of the processing is done by the phone. Um, and then you have some headphones on there, and then off you go. And you could imagine emergency rooms, procedure rooms, all kinds of things. I guess we'll talk about that. They have modules for pain relief. They had modules. Uh, applications for pain relief and anxiety have been their two major things, and they're trying to have a variety of, of sorts of things to choose from. There are early studies that I think uh, are, I think they've referenced it. I don't know if it's in a journal, but they've referenced it saying they, they've done some studies and it cuts pain by 24% when you have that on there. Um, so that's that end of things. Then you have the DeepStream VR company that made a, a program called Cool. The DeepStream VR folks used to work with Snow World and used to work with the University of Washington, and are, but are an independent company, so they made their own product, having seen the landscape and what's been changing, like say in 2014. So they made a product called Cool. Has a lot of similarities to Snow World and not by accident, which have, they have cute little otters instead of snowmen. Um, so it's an application that runs either on a laptop or a desktop computer. You don't run it off your phone. You run it off of one of those. So it has a corded headset that either goes to an Oculus Rift system or a Vive system. And we'll talk a little bit about those two kind of things. So we were looking for alternatives for pain, additional things we could do for pain treatment. And so I got in contact with the DeepStream people and got some equipment purchased some equipment and started, and then I got it and said, okay, now what? Uh, I can't really bill for it. It was a great idea and I was all enthusiastic, but now what? So we did two clinical trials. Basically, the first one is proof of concept. Does it impact chronic pain? I think there's only one study in the literature anywhere that, where they tried it on chronic pain. So <clears throat> we've done two clinical trials. One was all comers, well, I guess we'll talk about it, but at this point we have data on 42 different people, 64 different virtual reality sessions gathered the data, and at least the what's your pain before, what's your pain after, and what's your pain during the experience. So we have some analgesia data. That's best, you know, the whole zero to 10 scale, what's going on with that. The first study we did had 30 subjects, recruited them with any diagnosis. If they were a patient of ours, they qualified. Uh, they were given five minutes on the uh, in cool using the Oculus Rift system. Uh, they were asked their pain before, asked their pain when they got done, and said, by the way, what was it during the experience? It's hard to, in the middle of the experience, say, what's your pain? Because it's supposed to be a distraction and to bring people back to their pain is not the best way to do it, so you wait till afterwards. So that's what it looks like with the Oculus Rift. You have a laptop, I've got it on a rolling cart, so you can just roll it around, got a plug, plug it in. It's got a I use some headphones. It uses a mouse to interact with the application. So there's Erin uh, looking around. She loved to look up and see the snow coming down uh, into her field of vision. And then Mike, actually a former colleague of mine, is using it there, um, you know, looking different ways. And you can see what they're looking at on the laptop, but what they're seeing is right up on the headset. What we found, the average pain rating before after and during, that's the sequence of when we gathered the data. What's your pain before? Okay, now what's your pain after? And what was it was during the experience? So it's actually that way. So if you do the percentages, that's a 33% reduction in pain from pre-session to post-session. 
and a 66 reduction in pain during the session. In comparison, morphine reduces pain by about 30% at best. The quick hand version would say, this works twice as good as morphine. That sounds pretty good to me. Um, when we talk about engagement, how, you know, how uh, engaged were you? How, how much did you feel like you were in there? Well, it was 8.4 on a 0 to 10 scale. They, were, they felt like they were there. There's another question about engagement. So how real did it seem to you? They, were, they usually were puzzled with that because when you have six-foot otters that you're going by, exactly how do you rate that? Was that real or not real? I don't know what that is. So it was a 6.5 for realness. Um, side effects, there's a lot, there has been concerns about side effects of virtuality, dizziness, headaches, and nausea are the most common side effects when people have side effects. Nobody had any dizziness. Nobody had any headache of the 30 people. One person said she had nausea. She said, I always have nausea. I hate video games. They make me seasick. Just any kind of first-person shooter thing makes me sick as a dog. This system was less nausea-making than anything else I've tried. So she had nausea, but it was better than what she expected because she said, I'm real sensitive to that. So nobody else, the other 29 people, had no nausea at all. So it seems like the systems and the graphics and all that are coming together such that the side effects are not a problem. Sometimes you'll read about it and say, well, you know, people have their side effects with virtual reality. Well, I don't know. The new systems have very few side effects. Um, so Snow World had to develop new headsets. They're working on a burn unit. They've got things, and they don't want to put a headset over the top of somebody. So they had an adapted system where you don't have a strap over somebody's head. You have it kind of up there where they can see it. What DeepStream did was have it a viewer. Um, this basically an iPad inside a viewer looks like that so that there's nothing over the top of the head. There's just contact points there. And that would be for somebody if they have some sort of facial pain, burn pain, let's have an alternative viewer for that. On an inpatient setting, on a burn unit setting, makes perfect sense. That's what the doctors started doing was cutting the straps off of the viewers because they were painful. What we found is that we never used, I offered people and said, if it's painful, we can use this other viewer so you don't have something on your head. Nobody wanted to do the deep stream viewer. Nobody had trouble. There were two people that had trigeminal neuralgia, face pain. They didn't ask for a different viewer. They just put it on their head and said, wow, this is cool. No pun, in, or pun intended, I guess. Um, so the, it seems as though you don't have to have an alternative viewer even if you have head or face pain. But there is that available if you had somebody that had some sort of face pain or were very sensitive. For study two, we had two, uh, 10 subjects with neuropathic pain conditions. We gave them 20-minute sessions three times, three 20-minute sessions. And we gathered a lot of data from them, including the analgesia ratings. Um, about halfway through the study, we switched from that Oculus Rift, where uh, it's on a laptop with a camera in front of you, to a system called a Vive that we have over there. It has a headset, but it tracks your movement, not with a camera in front of you, but these things called lighthouses. So you can move around a lot more. You don't have to sit right in front of the camera. So it, they're going to work on applications where you can move around a lot more, and you have controllers that are in the game, you can see the controllers as you move them, so it brings you in there even more. Uh, looks like that. You have a headset, those two little black things are lighthouses that track how your head is moving, and then the two handsets. So, and we're going to look at differences to see if there was any analgesia differences between the two systems. 53% reduction pre and post in pain, 69% reduction in pain from 
beginning to during the session. Looks to me, roughly, didn't run the statistics because they're different numbers, but it looks like longer sessions work, have give more analgesia than five-minute sessions. Multiple sessions, interestingly enough, multiple subjects said that their pain was reduced afterwards, like 30 minutes afterwards, an hour afterwards, half a day afterwards, two days later, that you take the pain flare down. It's like giving a block. You give a block, and a lot of times you have analgesia that lasts long after the six or eight hours that you're done. So there seems to be some residual sort of effect, and they found the same sort of thing with uh, uh, itching in an Israeli study where there's, a, there's an ongoing effect. Um, okay, now we're going to have a video enough about me. So we'll see. Poor Matt somehow is getting flipped around, but we'll see if this works. Okay, so we're talking about the virtual reality you just did. Uh, if you could tell us your first name and what kind of pain you have. My name is Matt, and I have small fiber neuropathy. And... Um, it's uh, all over my body. It uh, goes up into my thighs and up my upper arms and my back. I've got uh, back pain as well, uh, chronic uh, back pain, bulging disc, and uh, that's the pain that I have. Okay. And now you've done this virtual reality, uh, the COOL program. What, how did it impact your pain? I found that uh, I've done this twice and that every time that I do the program, I feel uh, a natural uh, high, if you will, um, like endorphins have been released. That's what it feels like to me. Um, I turn my stimulator, I have, a, I have a spinal cord stimulation implant, and I turn that off to do the virtual reality. And uh, I started out, my pain was about a, uh, about a three or a two, and um, it's, it's at zero right now. So it's uh, very beneficial for me. Okay. And you said it, it seems like you just have no pain at all when you're in there, uh, you know, feeding the otters and shooting bubbles. Yes, that's correct. I have no pain. I'm into it 100%. Um, even though I'm talking with Dr. Jones, just saying stuff like, you know, the snow is, you know, maybe makes you feel a little cool. Um, and I, I'm, I'm into it 100%. And I feel that if this was something that uh, I could use at home, uh, maybe a day, uh, twice a day or, or once a day, I think it would be of great benefit. Okay. Anything else you want to tell the company about it? I'm sure they're glad to hear that it's helping. I, I think that, um, that uh, one thing that might be uh, interesting would be other programs. Um, mm -hmm. This uh, program is not boring by any means, but uh, I feel that if maybe they came out with some other programs that would make it more, uh, not, not suitable, but uh, more appealing it's a very appealing program don't get me wrong but i feel that if you would come out with some other uh scenes and things like that it uh it would break up the routine a little bit so mm -hmm. if you had maybe three programs and you could do two programs a day i think that'd be mm -hmm. very beneficial and i would personally say that um if if i could afford it insurance didn't pay for it i would buy it that's the amount of relief that i found from it um mm -hmm. i really wish i had it after the second day when i got home mm-hmm well, let me ask you, you said you've had morphine and narcotics for your pain before. How does this compare to taking morphine, say, for pain? Um, I found that initially, I've had this since 2001. I was exposed to sarin nerve agent from Iraq and, um, uh, in 1991, and I got sick uh, 10 years later. So I've been on uh, opiates for uh, 15 years. I titrated off in January of 2016. And I found that uh, my body got used to the morphine 
uh, and other narcotics that I was on, I had uh, chronic constipation and all the side effects that would go with it. And it would work for a while, and then my body would get used to it and it would taper off. This, my body doesn't get used to. Um, I did this a week ago, and then uh, came in a week later, and I get the same feeling every time uh, of endorphin release and, and like what I call a natural high. Which you didn't get from the morphine. Which I didn't get like. from the morphine. No. Yeah. I would never forget... Um, quote, high off of the opiates. They would mm -hmm. uh, reduce the pain for a while, but then my body would get used to them, and it was very frustrating. And uh, this, every time I get on it, uh, I feel great afterwards, and I've still got my stimulator off right now. Okay. I'm holding my dog on my legs. I don't even mm -hmm. feel any pain in my legs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. I appreciate you talking. Yes, Thanks. Sir. All right. Thanks. Sounds good to me. Uh, so it not only works for acute pain and procedural pain, it reduces chronic pain significantly. Has maybe twice the analgesia of morphine when people are inside the virtual world. Uh, the analgesia seems to have some after effect. It can last beyond the session. There's very few side effects. No significant discomfort from a head-mounted display. Uh, seems to be a very effective non-opioid treatment for chronic pain as well as acute pain which just happens to be what we need right now. So um, now there's VR applications out there now. Like I say, you could have gone to the, the uh, applied VR people and bought it today. You can go on Amazon, click it, and get it. There's different hardware setups. Some go over the head. Some have cords. Some don't have cords. More than one company sells the, the products uh, for that. Systems run between $3,000 to $6,500, depending on what you buy. It's not 30000 but so it's less expensive in the past. The challenges are it's less expensive than it was in the past, but it's still not cheap. It's still not, you know, in the $100, $200 range or uh, comparable to what they pay out of pocket for morphine. Uh, High-end computers run good graphics. Home applications are not going to run as powerful an uh, application. So you're going to have different systems, not all applications are going to give equal analgesia. Not all applications are the same. And so somebody might say, I've got something for pain. You know, my nephew made it in his garage. He's, he's a computer whiz. Well, it, there's also a clinical aspect to making these sorts of things. And some engineers are not good at understanding clinically what people need and what's good for them and what's not good for them and that kind of thing. So it's not just go buy something, it'll be fine, it'll give you 66% relief. There's variability out there. And billing and reimbursement is still an issue. There are actually more than one insurance company out there are in active talks about how to bill and how to reimburse because the insurance companies are on board with this trying to figure out what to do for patients. They're not really all let's cut, let's take it away kind of thing. So they're actively trying to figure out. They, they've seen the results too and they want to figure out how to make this work. Um, so we're there, top of the hour. Quick questions before you can run over there and get a demo. Okay, come on over and have a demo if you want. Otherwise, thank you very much for coming.